Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Being a Grateful Leader. In it, you'll discover the personal, professional, and even medical benefits of gratitude and how to develop a practice of gratitude as a leader. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod337. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to speaking with today's guest. Um, For anyone who's been a long-term listener of the show, you will have probably heard our prior conversation where we spoke about selling with a noble purpose and developing a noble purpose as a company. Um, But for all the newer listeners and as well as those old ones, I know that you will really enjoy hearing from her today. She's an executive advisor, a strategy consultant, and a keynote speaker. She's written five best-selling books, including Leading with Noble Purpose and Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She was selected to be an executive coach as part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches program, and she's been named the top or the number four sales expert in the world by Global Gurus. So um, pretty impressive company that she's in there. <laughs> she's a frequent contributor to a lot of various publications, including the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and LinkedIn Learning, and the founder and CEO of McLeod & More Incorporated, which is all about helping leaders find their noble purpose. She is based in lovely Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome back to the show, Lisa Earl McLeod. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. I am just so glad that you could join me again on the show. I know, uh, as I mentioned before, our long-term listeners might remember you, but if you could introduce yourself um, to our listeners and kind of catch everybody up. Well, uh, you gave me a great intro, so you all know my street cred. I'll tell you, um, I'll introduce myself in a more personal way. One of the things that I'm working on now with a lot of organizations around the world is really helping people feel that level of emotional engagement with their jobs. And this is crucially important for salespeople because the stakes have never been higher for customers needing to make good buying decisions, for companies needing to attract and hold on to good salespeople, and for salespeople themselves, because we stand in a moment in time where we are acutely aware that we've got a short scent on this earth and we don't want to waste our time just showing up, going through the motions. We really want to be contributing in a meaningful way to something bigger than ourselves. And I'm seeing that now more than ever. Absolutely. That, that really leads into what I'd love for us to focus on today. Um, in that you have a lot of conversations with leaders, um, with with you know various speakers and experts and other people who are really focusing on the this community, and I know that we've seen a lot of changes um, over the last few years. There are some of the obvious ones, and some maybe less obvious. And one big theme that we're constantly hearing about in the news is what everyone's been calling the Great Resignation, and certainly I have friends and and family members and other people that I know of who have, you know, decided to leave their jobs, decided to move. I have a lot of clients who have been um, seeing their teams shrink over the last year. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, what, what have you learned about this in your conversations with leaders over the last months? And do you have any advice for leaders for how they can address this challenge? Yeah, so I'll I'll go to that in a couple parts. So one of the things that this has brought to bear is for a leader, you know, when you, depending on who the team member is, when you lose one person, it's a problem for you. It costs, you know, lost work, time, you got to replace them. But when you start to lose two and three people, it's more than a problem. It is a crisis. Mm. And so You've got managers who are already stretched very thin and now they're losing people. So like, we're all just hanging by a thread here for a lot of folks. And so, so having said that, one of the things that we know to be true, this is a timeless truth. Human beings want a sense of meaning in their work. They want belonging and significance. People want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they want to know that their part matters. So I was talking with a friend and client the other day, and she runs a big IT consulting firm, and she just lost her top engineer. And she was really pissed, not at him, but at his managers, 
because she said they came to her and said, oh, you know, Joe's quitting, can't believe he's quitting. And insert, you know, it's happened to be a head engineer, insert chief sales officer, insert, uh, you know, BDR, insert, you know, customer service rep. But they said, you know, we're really just so, you know, devastated that he left. And she said she was mad because she said, I've been telling you guys, he's bored. Never let a good engineer get bored. And the reason I bring that up is the thing that we're seeing now is when people, some people have gone back to work, some haven't, but we've all had this sort of esoteric crisis where we've asked, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? And so as a, as a manager, you know, first you got to feed yourself. And by that, I mean, you've got to find a way to find that belonging. I'm part of something bigger than myself. And that significance, my part matters in yourself because that is going to radiate out onto your people. And if you're a seller, you got to find it because it's going to radiate out onto your customers. And so you're saying, what am I hearing from people? What I'm hearing is the cost of losing people has never been greater. Absolutely. But what I'm also seeing is the way to retain people has never been more clear. And it's the, what we've always called soft skills, but it's the psychological and emotional care and feeding of your people that will inoculate you. Not completely, if someone offers them five times more money, but it will keep them from looking around and taking those recruiter calls. And so the stakes have never been higher, but the way to do it has never been more clear. Absolutely, that, that rings so true. You know, To that specific example, you listed of somebody being bored, Yes. Um, that, that could happen anytime, right? But if you're in an office environment or, or an in-person work environment, it's a lot more difficult to get that bored because there's always stuff going on around you. You're getting inspiration and ideas from other people, sometimes right. getting too much work from other people, but it's keeping you engaged. And I see that a lot in, um, in positions and in organizations where people had a lot of that office connection, you know, it didn't even have to be in any way work related, just, you know, water cooler conversations, going out to lunch with people, you have all of that. And it fosters a sense of connection. You could work in a company that is the most boring company ever. But if you've got good people that you work with, and you feel like you guys are working together as a team, that's a real powerful connection versus, you know, sitting at home in my pajama pants every day (laughs) and it is it is a challenge i mean look at that um show the office it was designed to be a boring office and you know they while they weren't always functional they did for the most part really like each other and so one of the things that we're seeing particularly with salespeople, there was something happening before that we weren't really aware of if you were an outside salesperson and that was when you went to go make a call on the customer it was in their environment and there were all these things. Ooh, what's their lobby like? Ooh, what are their offices like? Ooh, what's on their desk? All these things pulling you into that environment. Now they're on a Zoom and they look just like your Aunt Frances when you talk to her on Sunday. So it the the idea of how do I lean in and get the human element if I'm on Zoom is challenging. And, and I'll also say this, even if you weren't an outside sales rep, even if you were doing Zoom calls all day, but you we're doing them from an office. You had that visual feast around you. What are my coworkers talking about today? What are they wearing? So it's visual, it's emotional, it's all those things. And now that's all stripped away. And so you've got to find some meaning in the activities that you're doing. And the secret of that is to lift up above them and say, when I do my job well, how does it make a difference to someone? Because we are so hardwired as human beings to want that human connection, that human impact. And when I'm just sitting here on Zoom, you know, people have probably launched, you know, movements on Zoom. They've launched wars on Zoom. So it's not without its consequence, but it's not as clear to me when I'm on Zoom. And so that's one of the things that we're doing with a lot of teams we work with is helping the leaders and the sellers themselves get really clear on how are we making a difference to customers and lifting that up in the cadence of daily work because otherwise it just feels so boring. Absolutely. That's such a powerful 
question. And I think so many times we ask little questions that have little answers, but that's a really big question. Yeah. That idea of, you know, and it also leads to other questions, right? So when I do my job well, how does it make a difference to someone? Well, who do I want to make a difference to? Um, What does it mean to do my job well? And, and you can take that in a lot of directions, but the, the idea of how does it make a difference to someone? I like how general that is because it could make a difference to someone else in your company. It could make a difference to, you know, your your customers or clients. It could make a difference to the overall world. And a lot of times there are a lot of different constituencies that you right. might be impacting in the decisions that you make. You know, there are some fields, especially the caring fields, you know, whether it's in medical care or whether you're, you know, um, working in a nursing home or, or working in a childcare setting where obviously the, the people that you're impacting are, are right in front of you. But you could even take it one step back, right? If I do my job well as a childcare worker, it's making a difference to the parent of that child because they're able to do their job without fear that their kid is running wild in the world. Yeah. Uh, like there's literally a future spouse and children at the end of your work that are going to thank you if you do your job well. But it's the thing is, and you bring up a good point, and this is what I want to make to sellers. It is so obvious how a childcare worker or a teacher or a doctor or a nurse make a difference, but even mm-hmm. they forget that on a regular basis. Yes. We've all been with those teachers who didn't care and were just phoning it in. And we probably all had a bad nurse or doctor too. So this idea that it is present in one profession and absent in another is really not true. Mm-hmm. We all need this and we all lose sight of it. And so it, while, you know, a student, if you're a teacher, there might be a student right in front of you and you can say, how do I make a difference? What it is, is it is training your mind. And I know that you have written a book about gratitude and you talk a lot about this we all know that that is a mental practice Mm -hmm. and there's health benefits. There's, it makes you a much better seller. I will tell you, if you are grateful for your clients, they will feel it and you will be more enlivened by them. But there's a link here because that is a mental practice. That is the same thing. We talk about selling with noble purpose. It is a mental practice where it starts. There's a lot of techniques and they're in the book, but it starts with the mental practice of saying, how am I making a difference to my customers? And it is a general question, but it also is pointing to you to one specific place. And that is impact. It is not what's my value proposition. What are my 57 benefits? It is, how does what I do impact another real live human being? And the more specifically you can answer that question, the stronger your tether to the answer to that question, the research tells us three things will happen. Number one, you will be a better performer. When you've got a sight line to how you make a difference to customer, you will outsell people thinking, just please let me close this deal. (laughs) Number two thing that happens you will have greater tenacity and resilience because you won't be, your whole ego won't be living and dying by how you're doing on the number. Mm -hmm. And there are three things that happens. You'll be happier. You will actually enjoy your days more. Absolutely. It's some of these things, you know, you said earlier, soft skills, they get dismissed as unnecessary but I, I'll just go back to the, you know, the context of this conversation is people leaving organizations and losing out on that talent, losing out on that experience, on their relationships. Those people who are leaving, you know, hopefully for their sake, they're leaving for better opportunities, but they have, you know, big changes in their lives that are that are also disruptive. And if you can keep your team, if you can keep people engaged, it's not just about keeping them from quitting, but as you said, they're going to be better workers. They're going to be more productive. They're likely going to want to and be able to contribute to the team in different ways that are going to not only, again, provide impact that they can see, but also really improve the lives of the people around them in the organization. And you think of those people on teams who are always willing to step up and lend a hand or the people who immediately jump in with a new hire and want to show them around and and help them get set up or the people who coordinate the birthday parties and, and various other things in the office. And you're not likely 
going to do that out of a sense of obligation. I mean, you might if it's in your job description, but it more often you see it's people that see the impact that those activities right. have right. and they want to make that happen. And for some of this, our brains go there easier than others, but everyone wants it. And that's one of the roles that leaders can play. And I want to talk about this word leader. It can be a formal leader or an informal leader. One of our most popular LinkedIn learning courses is leading without formal authority. So if you're, you know, Jane or Joe sales rep, and you're in the meeting with the customer support and the tech people, and we're talking about this new client, you might be the, you know, a peer of all these people, but you can, as an informal leader say, before we talk about how we're going to implement this, let's talk about the impact this could have on the client. They're going to be faster. They're going to be more informed. They're going to be better. And let me tell you about these three people that work there and why that matters. So as an informal leader, you can point a team towards customer impact and people will get more excited. They won't go, well, we don't, we don't want to talk about that. I mean, someone might say, I'm not sure we have time for that, depending on how rushed you are. But that's where an informal leader, you can say, I think it's really important. We're all understanding why our solution is making such a difference to this client. I want to get us all on the same page. When you do that, you will move the needle emotionally and psychologically on that meeting in an upward direction. Absolutely. As you said, I think a lot of times people have a lot of baggage about the idea of leadership and they think that leadership comes with a title. And I have seen a lot of people with a title who are not very effective leaders. And I've seen a lot of organizations where if you were to spend just you know a few hours kind of as a bump on the wall, you would notice who the leaders are and they are often not people with, with titles and with, you know, yeah. a, a high spot and that, um, and that hierarchy. And it, it does come from helping make time and space for these conversations. That's exactly, we, we were working with one company and it was a family business and the dad had run it. The son was taking over and the daughter worked in marketing and the son and the daughter are like 40 years old at this point. And I was told, oh yeah, the son's the COO. He's the one we're working on, you know, helping him improve his leadership, getting the whole leadership team together because the dad's, you know, leaving at some point and we really want to develop the son. I asked about the daughter. Oh, she just works part-time and she's in marketing and she's going to be out on um, maternity leave. So she goes out on maternity leave and all of a sudden the place starts falling apart. <laughs> the whole thing starts falling apart. And it took me like a month or two to really do a deep dive into why. And what it turned out, she did only work 20 hours a week. She did work in marketing. So didn't really interact with, you know, tons of other departments, but she was the emotional leader. She mm -hmm. was doing the emotional heavy lifting of the company because people would come talk to her about her dad or her brother. And then she'd go, well, try this or think of this. And then she'd go to the dad and brother, you know, so-and-so might need a little attention today. And, you know, or she'd say, you know, why don't you approach him this way? And so she was doing all of this behind the scenes, emotional labor. And when she was on a maternity leave, I said, we have a real problem here. Because she's the emotional leader of this organization. She's not just some 20-hour-a-week marketing person. So whenever she comes back from maternity leave, like, we need to make this official. <laughs> because if you don't, you guys are just screwed. Because she was holding this thing together in ways you didn't even know. And that's the beauty of the moment that we live in right now. While it's far from perfect, we are having this conversation on a podcast that's going to go out all over the world. Mm -hmm. And we now use phrases like psychological safety, the emotional leader, the soft skills, emotional engagement. And so while everybody's not perfect at them, we are in a moment in time where we are talking about it. That's way better than it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. It's, it's so incredibly powerful what you can see in in culture when you really start looking 
for leadership in unexpected places. And something that I think can especially be lost in this remote work environment that so many people are experiencing is when you had that person that you could just pop into their office or, you know, bump into them in the elevator or the stairwell and just have a quick conversation. And they really, they really provided that touch point. You're completely missing out on that if you're, if you're working remotely. And, and that also creates an extra responsibility for leaders. If they, if they really want to support their teams, they really want to nurture their teams. They want to keep them connected to the organization. You want to think about what, what might I not have needed to do when we were in person that I need to step up and and kind of fill in a gap uh, remotely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it and I think the thing that if leaders are listening to this and just going, oh, I can't do anymore, <laughs> it doesn't always have to be you. Yes, it and if your team, because I will tell you, those people that your team sort of went to, like you know, oh, I got to go talk to Elizabeth about this. She'd be really helpful. Your team might be missing it, but so are those informal leaders. They they were receptive to that and they mm-hmm. liked it. Otherwise, people wouldn't have been coming to them all the time. And so one of the things that you can do as a leader is you can give your team some time and space and say, think about the three or four other people that you need to be touching base with on a mm-hmm. regular basis just to talk things over, get their take. There are probably people outside our department. You can do some peer-to-peer stuff, but make that part of the cadence of regular business because like, you're a leader. You, you can't be all things to your people all the time. You may be having to lean in to more emotional engagement, more purpose, more meaning than you have before, but it, you shouldn't be doing all the heavy lifting on this. That's such a great reminder. And as you said, the people who were providing this, they miss it when they can't do it as well. Right. It's it's a way that they're contributing and they they feel it, even if they don't know it mentally, they they feel it in terms of their, the contribution that they know they're making. Yeah. And so like we've worked with a lot of organizations around this issue. We've got a new piece coming out in Harvard Business Review about salesperson loneliness and what it's costing organizations, and it's costing them plenty. Uh, because when salespeople are lonely, they, uh, first of all, they discount on price too much because they want their customers to like them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that we've been doing with a lot of companies is having the sales teams have these regular peer-to-peer brainstorm sessions where everything's not cutthroat competitive. You know, we've got a lot of salespeople listening to this, And what I would say is find a way for you to have some non-transactional touch points in your day. So if every conversation you have in your day is someone you're trying to win business from or your sales leader asking you about the business, it's just going to suck the life out of you. You need to be having some conversations, one with friends outside of work, but two with customers who are really happy that they bought what they bought, that are telling you how great what you're selling is. You need to have conversations with your peers where you share the win of the week and you're both excited for each other, not trying to top each other. Like you got to build that muscle for yourself. Otherwise, your energy is just going to be gone. Absolutely. I think of you know what we see in our work with clients. And I actually just got back from um, a client event in California. And they this was originally supposed to happen in early 2020. And, you know, things have things have been a little complicated since then. And they were so invested in making this happen in person that they decided to wait until they felt it could be done in a safe and responsible way. Uh, but they brought their team together from from across the country. And these people hadn't seen each other in two years. And and quite a few people had never met because they might've been hired in those two years or, you know, and the, the, the energy that comes out of that is, is just palpable. You know, I mean, I I do think a couple people coming in for day two might've been a little hungover from that time they spent connecting with others on day (laughs) one, but uh, it, it just, it, it was so exciting and so so fun for everybody involved. And then I think of another client where we did a remote event and this was right as Omicron was starting to, to really peak and it had been supposed to be in person and that was quickly canceled. And what we saw through, you know, we had silly icebreakers 
asking people questions like, you know, what was the first concert you ever went to? Share it in the comments. And everybody's sharing. They've got a mix of generations. So we had quite a quite a diverse range of musical groups that were brought up. And then it, it starts side conversations that are difficult to have if you're if you're in having a really structured zoom, but you know, somebody's like, Oh my goodness, Molly, I can't believe that that's the concert that you went to. I might've been at that same one. And you know, it's sparking all these little conversations, anything that you can do to, to provide that, that kind of energy um, can be really powerful. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be, we flew everybody in from across the country. <laughs> you can, you can work to find those moments, find those opportunities in whatever way is economically feasible and safe for your organization to do. Yeah. And, and I think in-person meetings are never going to go away because mm-hmm. we are social creatures, just like concerts are never going to go away. And Broadway shows, they may wax and wane depending on how, you know, contagious things are. But what's also not going to go away is the understanding of how effective we can be on Zoom. And I don't need to bring everybody from all over the world together. I may need to do it every two years for team building and bonding. But when it comes to sharing information and making decisions and rolling out new products and having sales meetings, I can do all that online. And and I think one thing people have really taken away from this is the point of bringing people together is to connect. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever again want to go to one of those meetings where you show me your 25 slide financial plan. I should never be sitting in a hotel ballroom seeing that. That is so boring. Show it to me on zoom that you're like wasting that human capital time. I have went to a meeting recently and they, they tweeted out a bunch of stuff about it. So this is public. They, a big team at Hilton had their a big leadership meeting last year in Las Vegas. I'm going to go to another one this year in a different location, but they were so excited to be together and they had so much fun and they had interactive conversation and their leaders told stories. And then you turned to each other and you did things. And we did this whole purpose workshop on finding your purpose at work. And it was just people just left on cloud nine. And I think one thing we got from this is those human interactions really matter. So make the most of them. Absolutely. And, and, to what you were saying earlier about especially salespeople who, again, this might have been happening beforehand and, and it wasn't, nobody was paying attention to it. You know, you've had, you've had sales reps for years and years and years who are out on the road, um, yes. you know, 75% plus of their time and are driving around in their cars or, or on planes and really lack that positive human connection with their organization. And as you said, they might've been getting it from clients in the past, um, right. but even that might not be great. As you said, you might be more willing to give discounts or, or leaning on other, other ways of engaging that are maybe not the best for you or for your organization, just because you, you want to feel that, that connection. You want yeah. And you know, the, it can be so simple. We, we do one exercise with clients and we always get, I, th- I think, the most interaction with this one. We actually have a company right now that doesn't have an internal sales force. They have distributor reps across the country that they work with. And they've got about 300 people um, that, that are selling on their behalf. And they decided that they wanted to produce a series of, of webinars where they'd get their team together. And brainstorm to build key sales tools. And that sounds super boring, but the one that everybody loved, well, the two that everybody loved, number one was success stories. We, we worked as a group to figure out, okay, what are the problems that, that we solve for? What are the problems that, that the offering is supposed to solve <laughs> and came up with some categories. And then on the webinar, just ask people to, to tell stories and examples. And if you're in Boise, Idaho, and you're, you've got a great story that every time you come up on a customer that has a, that has a certain situation, you have this story in your back pocket, you might be in Tampa and you could really use that same story. And That's then right. the guy in Tampa <laughs> might have a story that the girl in Houston <laughs> really wants to be able to share. And the the level of engagement and discussion that we got of everybody, you know, ooh, can I get details on that? Can you send me a picture? 
of of what that looked like, people loved it. And then one that's a, a little bit of a gripey, but but positive in that way is we ask people, okay, what are the common objections you run into? And you can't capture them as fast as people yell them out. Um, and then get into okay, who has a who has a best practice response to this one versus this other one? And again, that that sharing with your peers. Technically, they're not competing in that sense because they, they're you know geographically um, isolated. But still, it, it can be really easy to just think, you know, I've got my organization. I'm just going to keep my head down and and work in my space, and not realize you've got other people who are very willing to share best practices and ideas yeah. with you. If only you have the time and space to do that. Well, and that's where the it's contingent upon the leaders. And I I want to draw folks' attention to what you just described here because there were two really important things that were going on. One was the sharing of best practices, which is really practical and tactical. And here's the story. Here's the example. Here's how to handle the obstacle. But something else was happening that is even more valuable when it comes to employee retention. And that was your building belief. So if I'm on that call and I hear five different stories from around the world about how we helped a client, that tells me that doesn't just give me specific stories, but that creates a narrative in my head that says, we make a difference. Our company is really helpful. And that narrative about who we are and our place in the world is so valuable. And you get some of it from the top down. That matters, how leaders talk about the business and why the business makes a difference in its place in the world. But to really bring it to life, people have to have the chance to talk with each other about that as peers. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I tend to probably get things to break them down to a little more tactical. I love that you that you bring it up to the, the emotional and the the impactful. But um, it also, this this was a company that makes a, a physical product and somebody might tell a story about how someone used that product in a way that I didn't even know that product could be used. Right. And so it's almost continuing to expose, you know, you have potential for making an even bigger contribution because now you can help customers in this other situation that you didn't even know you could address. And it, as you said, you know, people you could tell people just really relished this opportunity to meet each other. And they were talking about, hey, you know, this conference is coming back this year. Who's going to be at that conference? Look forward to meeting you. I'll look out for you there. And it it really is um, just so incredibly important for for sales especially. And that's obviously what we're focused on with this podcast. It can be such a, an isolating job, yeah. whether that's because of the physical environment or whether that's because of a competitive um, culture or, or lots of scenarios drive that that sense of isolation. And the more we can create opportunities to, to really, you know, break that down to really provide that positive interaction, it's, it's just such a powerful thing for for culture, as well as back to what we started with for retention. And we see so often that salespeople leave kind of slowly, but they check out. And when you've got salespeople who are checked out, you do have the ability maybe to win them back and to get them um, yes. excited okay. again about the organization. But if, if you don't, you know, they'll be, they'll be out the door. And sometimes it seems like a surprise to a leader when, if you really look at things, it's like, oh, they, they kind of quit a few months ago. Well, that's one of the funniest things I ever heard. I had this guy, the um, CEO of this company, and he actually wasn't a very good leader at all. And I'm super happy he was my leader when I was 30 because it showed me what not to do. <laughs> but one of the things he said that was hilarious was he said, I think half our sales force quit last year, only they forgot to tell us. <laughs> that was the funniest thing because we were selling you know, training and consulting services. And so we had a very long sales cycle. So when he, said that, you know, what happened was all these people just were still there, but just not working because the sales they'd made six months ago are just now coming in. Mm -hmm. They finish up the year and then they go, oh, I'm gone. And oh, by the way, all the pipeline I was supposed to be building, uh, wasn't doing that. <laughs> and so, and, and I think, yeah, I think one of the things that I hope folks are taking away from this is actually, I'll make it two things. 
it, whether you are in sales or whether you are sales leader, there's two things you've got to have. You have got to have front and center that sense of noble purpose, how you make a difference to customer. That has to be the practical true north of every sales interaction and the cultural true north of the organization. So that's first and foremost. And then the second thing is, if you are a salesperson or a sales leader or anything that is in a customer facing role, you have to have some non-transactional interactions in your day mm-hmm. or you are going to burn out so fast. If, this, if you're in a high stakes interaction, every time you talk to somebody, it's just going to suck the life out of you. So whether you need to take a lunch break where you sit on Zoom with your friend and you both watch Love is Blind and comment on it, which is very, every salesperson alive should watch that Netflix show because it just shows you what psychological bonding looks like. But whatever it is, you have got to have some non-transactional interactions and it can't just be your spouse and kids. You've got to have some peers. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to kind of pivot a little bit because I know we spoke about this before and I think um, some leaders might be really seeing this and others others might not necessarily have a have a strong um, insight into, into what's going on here. But we're seeing that a lot of buyer behaviors have changed oh, in yeah. a couple of different ways. And I'd love it if you could kind of share some of the key categories of buyer behavior that you're seeing that are, that are maybe different from what yeah. leaders might have experienced in the past. So a couple things in no particular order. Uh, number one, m- more than ever, your buyer's journey is 90% online. Uh, your buyer does not look to your seller for product information. That is online. Customer testimonials are online. Your buyer, by the time they get to your seller, already has, usually, unless you've just cold called them, and even then, they're not going to take it. They're not going to give you their time until they've done a little bit of homework. And so it changes the role of the seller. The seller's new role is to help the buyer figure out not what does the product do, how does it work, where might it, you know, what might be some use case scenarios, is to help the buyer actually figure out something much more specific, which is if I do this, how will it positively impact me and my organization? So the buyer's making much more of the journey online. The second thing is, the buyer has no tolerance for uninformed sales calls. I got one the other day and I took it mistakenly thinking it was a different number. And then I stayed on just because I wanted to hear it. The person was (laughs) like, oh, well, you attended this conference, which I did. And we wanted to know we can help you with your sales team. And I was like, honey, do one Google search and in 45 seconds, you would know I do not have a hundred salespeople. I'm a sales consultant. Like just (laughs) when I'm listening and I'm like this, you could have saved yourself so much time, but you're just dialing. So buyers, not only do they have no tolerance for that, it'll erode your reputation. That's, that's, that's one of the other things that has changed. So one, the buyer's journey is much more online. Uh, two, the buyer has a lower tolerance than ever for unprepared sales calls. Three, the buyers are talking to each other in a bigger way than they ever have. They're going on forums. They're doing things like that. So what one of your sellers is doing that's messing you up is affecting even the good ones. The other thing that's happening, the other trend we're seeing with buyers is a lot of them are not coming back to the office. Mm-hmm. So if you're waiting for this day when they all get back and you can take them to lunch, not happening. Buyers are home. Some are back in the office, maybe, but buyers are home. And so you have to be very, very skilled at writing because they're going to read your emails and read your LinkedIn messages first. And you have to be very skilled at knowing how to pay full attention on a video call, which is easier said than done. It, it really is. I'm, 
so much of this is is really ringing true for me as a buyer as well, right? I cannot tell you how many emails I get that are clearly automated and copy pasted and they don't yeah. have my name. I'm not Heather, I'm Elizabeth. <laughs> and it's it's just really, you know, and and I know a lot of that is is actual automation, but some of them unless I'm really being tricked, real people are writing them and still copy pasting incorrectly. And if you want to, if you want to get to me, I might quickly scan an email that that's got, you know, the other name to, to kind of laugh at you, but I'm certainly not taking you seriously as a potential vendor or partner. And right. it's, it's the very most basic level of respect to to do some research, to know, hey, this person might have a team. This person probably doesn't have an enormous team. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I want to say something here about what the research does. The research to do good intel on a buyer, your seller needs two things. One, they need to take the time and do it. But two, they need a level of business acumen. Mm-hmm. It enables them to very quickly understand from someone's LinkedIn profile or someone's website what their issues might be. And so what you're doing with that advanced intelligence is not saying, oh, I figured everything out. I know exactly how I can help them. Let me give my pitch. No, you're doing your advanced intelligence so well and you've got such good business acumen that you're able to start with really great questions. Not, so tell me what you all do here. Like if that woman had called me yesterday instead of saying, you know, maybe we can help you with your sales team. If she just said, I see that you're a consultant and you work with a lot of sales leaders. We have helped a lot of sales organizations do a better job of prospecting calls. Do you ever help your clients with that? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm in now. Yeah, I'm in. And, it, and it's just like, um, one example I use when I talk about business intelligence is, you know, a lot of people I'll hear like a baby crying in the background or see a two-year-old running around. And that's an area I know something about, you know, you were just with your nephew who's two. And so I'll ask, tell me about a two-year-old. Oh, is he climbing? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? I'm able to ask good questions because I have some knowledge of the subject. Now, everyone doesn't know about kids and you don't have to. But like, if you, you should know about the business you're in, so you can mm -hmm. ask good questions. And that's, you, that's the way your sellers are going to stand out is by doing that deeper dive in the, the business intelligence and having enough business acumen to know what it means. Absolutely. You know, the only reason organizations need a selling team with all the information that's available online is if there's some level of a consultative process right. where the salespeople have to add value <laughs> and you can't add value if you don't know your industry, if you don't know what it is that you're selling, if you don't know who it is that you're selling to, if you don't understand what it is that they might care about. And, you know, that, that internal kind of training, that internal knowledge, sometimes people expect that they're hiring salespeople who have all of that information, but more often it's it's going to be up to leaders to make sure that that information is being shared internally and that you're 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 making sure that your people are staying on top of trends and that maybe you know in hopefully your your positive affirmational sales team meetings where you're getting people together and fostering a sense of community you're also sharing some industry trends and things that you're seeing and and stories right. and examples and it's one one thing that we're really seeing is you said you know buyers there's just less patience for feeling like your time is being wasted. And I don't think anybody ever really wanted their time wasted, but I think there, there have been times when it was just like, hey, you know, we're, we're having coffee, you brought in donuts, whatever it might be. Um, we'll do this. But now it's like, no, I don't have time. I don't have yeah. time for someone to waste my time. And we're all acutely aware. It, it's like when you get to an older age, you're more aware of, I've only got so much time left on this earth. I better spend it wisely. We all got a big old two by four over the head with that during COVID because of the loss of life. And also because we had time to breathe and we sat there and went, what have I been doing with myself? How did I get to be this age? Wow. I, I'm going to make some different decisions going forward. And so, you know, one of the, the hidden 
gems of COVID was a much greater level of self-awareness and intentionality from people. Absolutely. Um, and another way that I know we see that that bearing out is as buyers, we care more about the values of the organization that we might be Ooh, buying yeah. from. And so often before it was just who has the best price and the best features. But if you heard a story about, you know, something that went on in that organization that that was, um, you know, a bad situation, or you hear about companies that that are, you know, making a, a positive difference in the world, even outside the area of the work that they do, that really impacts your buying yeah. decision. It absolutely does. And, you know, people can bemoan the canceled culture um, and, you know, there's certainly a downside where we don't give people a lot of grace, but at the same time, there's no tolerance for some of the bad behavior and lack of ethics that we had before. People aren't going to have it anymore. And a lot of millennials are leading the way. And I, I got to tell you, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah, I like consequence culture um, as a as a better that is a term. much better way to say it. This is a consequence culture. Yeah, and sometimes, like you said, sometimes you know they, we might not give people enough grace, but man, uh, so often you're like that. That is the consequences of your actions and your behavior. And guess what? Right. Sometimes it's not pleasant. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? We didn't live in a consequence culture when you did it, and now that we found out about it, it is a consequence culture. Sorry about that, but too bad. <laughs> yeah. And and it really, um, you know, when you look at organizations that just, they they were willing to kind of just beat everything down to be successful. They were willing to break regulations and break laws. They were willing to treat their employees really poorly. Um, all of these other things. Buyers are looking at the contribution they make in the world and they're saying, yeah. you know, do I want to support that? And it's, it's interesting to see how many people, you know, it's not I think it's not necessarily like a boycott, but there's certainly a move against some potential vendors and suppliers just because of um, kind of an unwillingness to want to be a part of what it is that they're doing in the world. And so, you know, it all comes back to that idea of as at your organization, do you have a purpose that you're that you can be proud of? Do you have a way that you can contribute in the world? Do your employees have the ability to connect to that individually? in their different ways. And if, if that's happening, you're likely going to spread that out into the world and that'll be yeah. visible to other people. And that makes you a much more appealing potential partner for, for these buyers who've really been reflecting on their own values as well. And you're going to attract top talent because, mm -hmm. you know, when I first started doing this work on purpose with organizations, we didn't have as many hard numbers as we do now, but we know now beyond a shadow of a doubt, people are looking at what does your company stand for? What's your purpose? Why are you here? And you don't have to cure cancer. You can be the IT company that helps, you know, helps people manage their day-to-day -day life a little bit easier. It doesn't have to be, you know, saving lives, but it has to be something. And the more you can bring that to the fore, we know that top talent is purpose motivated and they're going to be more likely to be attracted to you. You've got a better story out there as an employer brand. They're more likely to stay engaged, bring their friends there, which you want. And buyers are going to buy from you more. And, and, you know, it doesn't completely inoculate you from an employee who may do something wrong. But, you know, as one client of ours said, if I go into court, I can prove that I did everything in my power yes. to try and get people to do the right thing. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to think about if, if, if we went into a discovery process, would I be terrified or right. would I, would I know that they might find one or two things, but it's not going to be an absolute disaster. You one of the things that we say about our work and we, we're going to be updating our website shortly. And we got a great quote from one of our clients. They said about our sales training, selling with no one purpose. They said, this is the sales training your clients want you to have. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, we are definitely putting that on the website. <laughs>
<laughs> you think about, you know, things get released and it's like, here are the slides from the training that these that these employees right. got, you know, you think of that in the pharmaceutical industry and it's like, right. it's terrible. And it, that, that puts a stain on you as a company and also on, you know, the vendor that you work with that put that right. together. You, you don't want to be training and leading and guiding your team in a way that if that email had to get released at some point, you would be embarrassed about it. That's exactly it. Yeah. We want you to do the right thing and have a true North, be emotionally engaging, make a difference to your customers, outperform your competition, have more purpose, meaning, and happiness at work. And this will also keep you out of trouble. So there you go. Man, uh, we're ending on a high note. I have to just say as a, as a story, because I can't help but, but celebrate her. My roommate just finished her PhD. And so I'll she's been doing the job search and she got some interest from companies that she wasn't comfortable with and she didn't pursue those. And, you know, even though she's at a point in her life and her career where it's very important that she find a job because, you know, she's, she's finishing her program. It's, she waited until she got an opportunity from a company that she would be proud to work for. And this is, you know, a young, very smart person with a PhD. And that was, that was a key decision factor for her. And I, so many people that I see, you know, at all different stages of life that are really including that as, you know, a top part of the list as they're, as they're looking at their next right. moves. Because top talent has choices now and they know it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I always love talking to you, Lisa, and I always learn a lot. If you want people um, to, first I'll actually ask, do you have any resources or um, tools that you would recommend to our listeners that they explore? I do. I have two things that I would recommend. Uh, one. Uh, go on LinkedIn and follow me on LinkedIn. We do a live every Friday. We, uh, I post a, a, you can sign up for the work on purpose newsletter. If you go to my profile, you'll see sign up for the work on purpose newsletter. Um, this is all free. Send it out every single week. You can share it with your team. It's got sales tips. It's got leadership tips in it. So go to LinkedIn, find us there. Um, and the other thing I'll tell you is to go a little bit further, if you go to LinkedIn Learning, where they offer courses, and LinkedIn Learning is you can buy a single course or you can have a membership. And we have several sales courses on there that have been really effective. So I would encourage you to go look at those. We've had a number of sales teams where the entire sales team will go through the work on purpose or the selling with purpose course. So take a look at those. Absolutely. And if you want people to learn more about you, um, engage with you directly, where should they find you? Uh, they can just Google um, Noble Purpose and they will find me. That's our website. And again, follow me on LinkedIn. That's where we put most of our stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for coming back to the show, Lisa. I always uh, really appreciate and enjoy our conversations. Such a pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Lisa and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 337. Make sure to tune in next week for another great guest. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that wherever it is that you're listening. That way you'll get every new episode as soon as it's shared. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, if you've got questions, guest suggestions, anything like that. Podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!